0: Okay, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another opportunity like this, another privilege to gather together like this as your children, as your adopted ones. Father, we thank you for this peaceful place where we can come and concentrate on your word and fellowship in your word and encourage one another. We just thank you for all the grace you give us every single day, Father, to wake up. We thank you for the health we have. We also thank you for the tests you give us. And Father, we ask tonight that you help uh, strengthen us by your word. We need your word, and we ask that you give us a, a meal of good nutrition for our souls so that we can walk this world with faith and courage and hope And love. Father, most of all, we're thankful and grateful for making all this possible by the sacrifice of your precious Son, something you certainly did not have to do. Death was required for our sin, and you put it upon Him so that we could live forever with you, all by your grace and mercy. We ask your blessing be upon this lesson tonight. Please guide us by your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's precious name, we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. The Deceitfulness of Sin, Part 57. So, uh, we've been talking recently about living in the sphere of eternal life. Pastor had his uh, drawing up there, which gave us good visual, um, you know, all things good are from God, and all good things are in the sphere of God, and when we are in sin, we are cast out of the sphere of God, uh, even experientially as believers, but we're talking about the life of God, we're talking about the life of God, try to summarize that, right? try to grab on to that. It's a supernatural thing. And eternal life is nothing less than the life of God himself. The Spirit has given us some direction on how we can view this eternal life. For example, by calling it life eternal. That it is life. We're talking about a new life in God. His life. And just to help us along a little bit, I found this in uh, John 17:3 in the American Standard Version. And this is life eternal, that they should know Thee, the only true God, and Him whom Thou did send, even Jesus Christ. And I just want you to see not only is it worded here, life eternal, which should make you think of life or the quality of life that is God, but also that they should know Thee, the only true God. Eternal life involves knowing Him. Without knowing Him, we can't experience eternal life. Life eternal is the very life of God. And this verse says this life is to know Him. And just keep that in mind for later, later on in the lesson, by the way. To know the unity of His essence. uh, To abide in His holiness. I mean, we could go on and on trying to describe the separation of God from... Natural things, the uniqueness of God, the holiness of God. And this came up on Sunday on the board. What, who, what, or, and or who is eternal life? God is not only the source of all life, but the embodiment of it. So we're entering into deep spiritual territory here. He is life. We're exploring the depths of God, things of God that are incomprehensible to the flesh, things that can only be understood by the Spirit. And so that's why, hopefully, you're here tonight, is not just to learn the Word, but to ask the Spirit to open your eyes to these supernatural truths that are designed to set us free, that are designed to give us great hope beyond any human hope we can... Muster up. Supernatural hope. Here's a little more on eternal life um, being not only from God but God Himself. Turn in your Bibles to John six thirty five. John six thirty five. It never fails in the office. My nose is fine. I come out here, my nose is going crazy. So strange. (laughs) So John 6.35, we're talking about eternal life, not only being from God, but being God himself. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am life. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. The analogy is without food and water, we can't live. So without Jesus, the great I am, man cannot live eternally. That's how desperate man is for him because he is life. Without him, there's no life look at John 11:25 and 26. John 11:25 and 26. This should look familiar from our Resurrection Sunday service. Jesus said to her, "I am the resurrection and the life. I am the life." he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He is the life. And John 14, 6. Go to John 14, 6. These are just a few of the I am statements of the Lord, which is Jesus claiming to be the Lord God from the Old Testament. But John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, again, I am the life. I am eternal life. No one comes to the Father, but through me. And on the board, we've seen this in 1 John 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. There's that phrase again. That we may know Him who is true and we are in Him who is true in His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So there's no, um, you know, vagueness here. This is a direct statement that is like Strictly spiritual, right? It's not saying Jesus has eternal life. It's not saying he's like eternal life. It's that he is eternal life. So we need to swallow that with the help of the Spirit and ask him what that means, the the depths of that, the consequences of that, even. So life is holy. It can only come from God. Eternal life is a piece of God himself, if you will. Please excuse that rough term. I hate saying that, a piece of God, you know, but like I'm trying to, again, just get it across in whatever way hits us. Eternal life is a piece of God himself, part of God himself. And a point that came out on Sunday is that we aren't told other creatures have this life of God, this eternal life, just as other creatures were not created in the image of God. So eternal life, we can conclude, is a gift of God to man, created in his own image. And he redeemed man so he could have eternal life, so he could grant it to whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, the true God and eternal life. And once we understand that eternal life is transcendent, the heavenly, holy life of God himself we can see why man had to be cast out of the garden when he sinned. Because if you think about it, man forfeited the very life of God that he had been granted. Man chose to give it up. Man was no longer holy, no longer set apart for God and his purposes. If you will, like man spurned the life that God gave him, that intimate life and connection, knowing him, man spurned that chose to be set apart for himself and so you have the result of separation from God what's worse than separation from God absolutely nothing is as horrifying as separation from God how can God allow unholiness to live in his holiness how can sin live in the sphere of our perfect and holy God The Bible says it cannot. And I almost think as believers who are into the Word, we take that for granted. Like, because Christ paid for our sin, right? And He doesn't remember our sin anymore, right? And as far as the East is from the West, so far as He separated our sins from us. So do we take that for granted? Like, it's not a big deal to Him? I think we can fall into that trap. Because Habakkuk 1.13 says God can't even look upon sin. So there's the dire need for a worthy sacrifice. A worthy sacrifice. Desperate need. A savior to save us all from separation from God. The most horrible thing we can't fully appreciate now. Unfortunately, people in hell are going to understand that. How horrifying that is because all good things come from God. We've seen through the Lord's own words that He desires us to share in His joy, in His unity with the Father, His experience of eternal life. In unity of heart and soul, there's peace. And that's what Jesus had with the Father a oneness. So he had perfect peace, perfect joy as a human being. He was perfect too. The analogy is not perfect, but Jesus is saying he wants us to share that joy, to have a piece of that joy, that unity of soul, uh, the very peace of God because of that unity with the Father. So he is the way to true joy and true life, and that's the transcendent thinking the Spirit's been helping us with. And hopefully, you've all been going home to uh, dwell upon it and pray about it. On Sunday, we were given the loving imagery of a shepherd gathering his sheep before nightfall. It's quite a picture if you think about it. The caring shepherd seeks safety for each and every one of his sheep without exception. Talk about no partiality, right? Even the dumb sheep over there in the corner that never obeys and keeps getting in trouble... No partiality, loves all of them equally and the same, and he'll do whatever it takes to rescue even one. His love and his joy are seen in this type of action, as a shepherd. And he came and suffered for us so that he would not lose one. John 18, 9, On the board to fulfill the word which he spoke, of those whom you have given me I lost, not one. Ask yourself why. why. Why was Jesus like this? Why was he um, desperate, if you will, to look after each and every sheep? Why this type of love and sacrifice? Because he so greatly desires us to share in his eternal life. He so greatly desi- desires to rescue us from the horror of separation with God and to bring us into eternal life where there's eternal bliss eternal peace, eternal love and union with the Father like he knows that joy Jesus does as a man and so he's like I'll do whatever it takes to let you share in this joy because it's that incomprehensible and how do you say much more right his love Jesus is telling us now to stay close to him as the shepherd. He's the very source of happiness and life. Turn again to Luke 15, verse 1. Luke 15, 1. He's saying, stay close to me, my children. Don't stray too far away. You don't know what you're missing. Look at Luke 15, 1. Now, while the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to him, near him to listen to him, both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? Here you see the Lord's priority or the Lord's heart. Whatever it takes was his heart. And he's saying, even you guys, you sinners, would leave the ninety-nine and go after the one. How much more do you think... I'm not going to do that. Why would you think I'm not going to do that? That motivation, that heart, is what took Jesus all the way to the cross to rescue us and give us true life and salvation from the wolves in this world. He was willing to die for his sheep. Why? To give us eternal life, to give us a share in the joy he had with the Father which is incomprehensible. And he said, I'm going to do whatever it takes because they have to have this. Look again at Luke 15, 4. What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There's the joy of salvation. We can't even imagine the celebrations that go on in heaven when someone is saved, when someone repents and turns to Christ. The joy of eternal life and sharing the very life of God, that person now possesses life eternal. And thus he calls us to love him and obey him so that we can enjoy this sphere of eternal life now, not being deceived by the world to follow counterfeit lovers, which we all do from time to time, let's be honest. But Jesus is like, stay close, love me, obey me, obey me, love me, stay close. There's a a reward in that, there's a joy in that, there's an intimacy in that, that you only experience when you do it, when you actually do it, when you go forward by faith and do it, even if it doesn't make sense so you don't quote-unquote feel it. You only experience the peace and joy and love of God when you do these things. He's saying, stay close. I'm the good shepherd. Let's grab some more context we saw on Sunday from the Gospel of John. Go to John 15, 1. John 15, 1. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. In other words, stay close to me, my sheep. Stay right by my side. I'm the good shepherd. It's like stay within touching distance, right? Where I I know you're right there. And you're even brushing up against me. That's the kind of intimacy and protection we get when we abide in him. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Some of you are like, yeah, (laughs) this is what I was waiting for. But notice, the only reason he can't bless us out and answer our every request Is because we stray away from him. And this is where heart issues come in. To the picture again. Where do we stray away from him? In our heart first. And then in our deeds. And so he can't grant us whatever we want. Because we're not with him. We're not abiding in him. And his commands. None of us do it all the time perfectly. Otherwise he could give us whatever we ask. As he promises here. So your heart would be like-minded to God's is kind of the point. In verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, in other words, we're in agreement here, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By the way, I was thinking on Sunday, what fun... Or joy is there in life if a person is not bearing fruit? I mean, even an unbeliever, if a person is not being productive, like God designed us that way to um, have an emptiness when we're not producing, when we're not, you know, um, f- fulfilling our purpose. Let's say, man feels unfulfilled when he's not producing. Okay, that's even that's like that a gap. Or that hole in mankind, how God designed us, that only obedience to God can fill it. Only obedience to God can satisfy that gap in your soul. And what does obedience produce? We might say obedience itself is a a good fruit, right? But then obedience produces more good fruit. And so, like, this is where the joy comes in, because there's a joy in producing, there's a joy in seeing the results seeing good results that you participated in in your life. Something divine comes out of it. Maybe someone's salvation. Could be other things too. But that fruit you actually see. And you can honestly say, if you were obeying God, that you had a peace in that. It was all God's grace, right, and power that he gave you, but your free will, you participated. God said, I'm going to let you participate in this fruit-bearing. And guess what? You're going to have joy from it. You're going to have peace. You're going to have fulfillment. So as believers, we're told here we've been born again to bear much fruit to the glory of the Father. And it's then that we share in His joy. Uh, what was Jesus' joy? Was it not pleasing the Father? Was that not His every concern with everything He did, Please, please the Father? The Father said, I'm well pleased with my Son. And there's a a joy in pleasing your Father, especially if you have a good Father like we have in heaven. Look at verse uh, 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. There's some good fruit right there, right? If you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. This is my commandment, that you love one another. Just as I've loved you, there's more good fruit. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. There's more good fruit. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that, here it is again, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Why? Because you're abiding in his love, obeying his commands. In other words, your heart is right and your heart's in agreement with him so he can grant you whatever you ask. And this I command you that you love one another a lot there, as we talked about on Sunday, our enemies try to hold us back from fully giving ourselves over to Christ, from obeying him without hesitation, ultimately from loving him and abiding in him. And this is the reason that all of this takes time, right? This, this world, this life that we live is a battle. I was thinking about that today. It's just hard sometimes. You don't have to say anymore, right? It's just hard sometimes. This thing called life. Because of our three enemies the devil, the world system, and our sin nature within us makes it hard, makes it complicated, even though it's not supposed to be complicated. That's why this journey takes time to come to this place in John 15 of intimacy with the Lord. Our enemies try to hold us back from fully giving ourselves over to Christ. Sometimes the journey is slow. Sometimes we seem to plateau. We've all been there. where well, you wonder if you're even growing anymore. But we must know that God is, is always working on us and in us. Those times of plateaus where you don't, quote-unquote, feel the growth or something to that effect, those might be the best of the greatest times of growth because these are spiritual matters. God's working things out in our souls and he's always working things out in our souls. He's nurturing us and even pruning us so that we will bear more fruit. Listen, when you're being pruned, when scissors are cutting, nipping at your edges, it's not comfortable. And maybe that's a sign of more potential growth. And more fruit to be born very shortly to God's glory and for our sharing in his joy. So we can't lose sight of the prize. Jesus is like, I want you to share in my joy. That's the whole reason I'm, for all of this. Share in my joy. Don't lose sight of the prize. There's a supernatural joy to be had. And as we're going to get to at the end, it's an opportunity that not every believer even is going to take advantage of, which is a real shame, a real waste of time. As the Spirit gave us on Sunday on the board, we might call this distractions from abiding, your sinful nature even tries to capitalize on your history. That really hit me on Sunday. Your sinful nature even tries to capitalize on your history in particular your bad history. That's another strategy of sin to be aware of as we study this subject on its deceitfulness. Sin doesn't want us to abide in Him and share in His joy. So it often calls back to us, as Pastor mentioned on Sunday, like, remember the old times? Remember the good times? Come on back this way. It appeals to the lust of the flesh, It tries to get us to buy the lie again and believe that this time is different. Isn't that the message? That maybe your old friends, uh, you know, call you up years later and say, come on, it's not that bad. Or remember the good times we had. And you start to think, you know, maybe the results will be different this time. And you forget about the 99 times you crashed and burned Because it's convenient to the flesh to forget about that. To give it, quote-unquote, one more chance. But these kind of things, if we are wise, if we grow up, we realize they always end in some type of death. Some type of death. There's many types of death in the Bible. And these things result in some type of death situation. And God's saying, spare yourself. And instead, bear fruit. Come abide in me and bear fruit. The time is short. So again, distractions from abiding. Your sinful nature even tries to capitalize on your history. He'll even bring old acquaintances out of the woodwork to get you thinking of the old man again, your old nature. You might even meet an old flame like Augustine did and have to turn your back and run away. Or he might lead you to apologize to them, as he did for me recently with a woman I treated wrongly as a young man. Yes, little, old perfect me. No, you can't believe it. (laughs) But the Spirit's saying, be on guard for your history. Be on guard for your past sneaking up on you with batting eyelashes. I'll try to seduce you away into the sufferings of sin again. That's what sin says. It doesn't say it. It doesn't remind you about the sufferings of sin. It reminds you of the frolicking part of it, right? The part that seems okay and you can get away with and whatever. It gives you, as uh, the Bible says, sin gives pleasure for a season. And then, boom, (laughs) right? Spontaneous combustion of some kind in your life. We've been encouraged to live in the new life. That's what the Spirit's saying. Live in the new life. There's a joy to be had. The very eternal life of God. And that's what's going to give us true joy. you know our problem? We don't believe it. And because we don't see it now or touch it or feel it now, we don't believe it. So we have to believe it by faith. We have to walk by faith. Seeing without seeing the eternal, lasting fruit of God in our lives and in our hearts. Seeing these things are going to come to fruition in our lives cuz God's word says it and our free will is involved go to Romans 6:11 so that's why we've been getting this kind of counsel this kind of encouragement to live in the new life how many times do we have to crash and burn Romans 6.11 Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not master over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. Paul wants us to hold on to this truth like our life depends upon it. Because living in and experiencing eternal life and his joy does depend upon it. He's like, which one are you going to choose? The the lifeline or the death line? I mean, it's that that dramatic. It's that um, the consequences are that real which life are you going to choose to live in? Another theme we've been hearing is that we have the right to stand up in Christ. We have the right to stand up in Christ, to realize who we are in Christ, take advantage of the rights and privileges that the Lord purchased for us through His own blood, instead of like almost brushing them off as though it was no big deal as some Christians treat grace, let it not be in vain in the lives that we walk experientially. Let not his suffering be in vain. Stand up and live in the rights you have in Christ, the privileges you have in Christ, and don't fall for the garbage, is a polite way to say it. Don't fall for that. Go back to, you know, be in the mire, rolling in the mud. On the board, walking forward, by faith. The truth has been given to set us free. So let us take advantage of the opportunity by the grace of God. You know, we hear the phrase thrown around a lot, a lot in our society, the opportunity of a lifetime. And this truly is the opportunity of a lifetime. It's the only, you know, nothing matches this opportunity that we have in this life to bring God glory and to produce things that last eternal. So let the truth set you free from the bondage to sin. Take advantage of the opportunity by the grace of God. John eight thirty one and 32, Ephesians five 16, we've seen those two verses. How the truth is designed to set us free, how we're to make the most of our time because the days are evil. And then let's visit an old friend in Hebrews 6, verse 9 through 12. Go to Hebrews 6, 9. Walk forward by faith. We're either going forward or backwards. There's no staying, you know, in neutral. There's no staying in one position, spiritually speaking. Because if you do nothing, you're doing something. You're going backward. You may not realize it. So we are commanded to walk forward, even if it's one little step at a time. It's got to be forward by faith. John, uh, I'm sorry, Hebrews 6, 9. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. Having, in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In other words, they actually inherit the promises. They actually fulfill the plan of God for their lives. They actually... See the rewards, including joy now, but also eternal joy and bliss at having pleased the Father, at having a productive, fruit-filled life that has eternal records attached to it in heaven. So verse 10, God is not unjust to forget your work and the love that you've shown his name. He won't forget one iota of what we do when walking forward by Faith, seeing the unseen, trusting him. But sin will try to hold on for dear life. Don't be deceived. It'll try to hold on for dear life. So in other words, look at it this way. We're trying to put sin to death. We're trying to kill sin in our lives experientially. And when faced with death, the flesh gets desperate. It's going to claw and scratch and bite. It's going to be ugly, especially as you reach out for Christ and go forward and and make a decision to abide in His love like never before. Sin's going to be vicious, so be ready for that as you walk forward by faith, abiding in His love. This was our reminder Uh, recently. Our enemies will use whatever devices they can to deceive us. Whatever devices. Don't ever be surprised by the angles that our enemies will exploit to gain an advantage. People, especially the opposite sex, often represent the lion's share of deception. Think of the sin nature as cruel. You know, there's there's enemies and then there's enemies. There's someone who might fight you honorably, and there's someone who might fight you dishonorably, very cruelly, very no scruples whatsoever, like Satan. That's your sin nature. It'll seduce you, it'll rope you in, it'll pull you away from Christ, and then it'll chew you up and spit you out. It's hard. It's hard-hearted. So be ready for that. Don't ever be surprised. On the board, John 3:20, in the Amplified. For every wrongdoer hates the light, And does not come to the light, but shrinks from it for fear that his sinful, worthless activities will be exposed and condemned. What a horrible reason to not come to the light. Think about it. Fear is another tactic of our sin nature. I'm going to get you to fear things that you shouldn't fear so that you don't come to the light wholeheartedly. So you don't surrender every part of your life to Christ. I'm going to let fear motivate you. Don't let fear keep you from the light. Fear of being exposed, for example, even embarrassed for our past sins. That could possibly keep us hiding in our sin. Instead of confessing it, even to others if needed, so that we can move past it, we give in to fear. How about fear of rejection from others? We could go on and on, actually, right? Fear of embarrassment. We're called to live in our privilege in Christ. And fear is another major tactic that the sin nature is trying to get you to give into. How you look in front of people, what the impression is even in the church, what does your pastor think of you? All these fears are lies being thrown at you. To keep you away from intimacy with Christ. We're called to live for eternal things, things that last forever, and not to give in to the temporary darkness, the distractions, the attractions of the darkness. Turn and run, right? Just turn and run. You know it's evil. Turn and run. Turn again to Romans 13, verse 12. Romans 13, 12. You have set before you life and death. Choose life that you may live. Remember that verse? That's our choice every day, honestly, in terms of our experience and in terms of the fruit we bear or we don't bear. Romans thirteen twelve. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day Not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to his lusts. This was a major emphasis on Sunday. No provision. The flesh hates that, that you're going to be that cut and dry that you're going to be that dogmatic about it. I'm not making any provision for the flesh. You do that, the flesh hates that. It can't stand it. As also came out on Sunday, the flesh doesn't cope well with absolute truth, including absolute statements like this in verse 14. Make no provision for the flesh. The flesh kicks and screams when it it sees you even contemplating that. It's funny. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'll tell you, while Pastor was teaching on Sunday, my own flesh, during Bible class, while he was teaching about this, was conspiring and justifying on keeping just a small provision for the flesh. It, it's true. In other words, my flesh was um, cringing and twitching while my new nature wanted to accept this wholeheartedly. There was something stirring in me that was uncomfortable, and it was very subtle. But I found my, my mind racing a bit, being distracted, because the flesh hates this dogmatic 100% decision to make no provision for it. And so it's going to stir you up. It's going to try to get you to rationalize. So on the board, make no provision. The flesh never wants to totally close the door on sinful options. Does that make sense? I mean, does, does any mischievous child ever want to totally close the door on, on options to get into trouble? Let's be serious. You've got to leave the door open a crack so you can see in and see what's going on in there. The flesh never wants to totally close the door on sinful options. It wants to at least leave a small opening just in case. That's the uh, evil of the sin nature, the twistedness of the sin nature. It's like a child who persists in disobeying his parents even while he's being punished. You know what I mean? We've all been there as kids even. Or if you have kids, while the child's being punished, we keep doing the thing we're being punished for that's the wickedness of the flesh so let's not be deceived by our own you know rationalizations about leaving the door open just a little bit that it's not a big deal this verse says in romans thirteen fourteen, put on the lord jesus christ to make no provision for the flesh in regards to his lust so let's put him on jesus is worth it don't you think I know we all think that, but your flesh doesn't. Your flesh is very selfish. But we can decide in our free will to do it for him. It's back to motivation, isn't it? On the board, make no provision. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Grow in your love for the Lord, and obedience will come easy. That's the point. If our motivation is right, the plan of God is easy. If we fall in love with the Lord more and more, it's easy to discard the flesh because love is that powerful. His load is easy and his burden is light. Only when our obedience is motivated by love for Him. Let's bow. Father, we thank You so much for the instruction of Your Word and Your Spirit. You're so good to us, and we thank You for helping us see the light, helping us put aside the flesh, helping us put on our Lord and Savior. Father, we need Your help every day. We're just so unable and incapable on our own. We thank You, though, for this marvelous encouragement tonight, your word, your spirit, your faithfulness. And we ask that you pull us closer to you, Father, and help us abide in your love and obey your commands. We ask that you bless us all as we go. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your spirit. Amen.